Every now and then do you get some verses that you read that kind of just stick with you and stick in your head? That's what happened to me. The focal passage today, just two verses, I read those uh, quite a while back, and uh, they just stuck with me. And I knew I was going to preach a couple weeks kind of on generosity. Last week, you remember the rich young ruler, no problem. And this one kept coming back and coming back. And so I said, okay, Lord, we'll do it. But it's an interesting section of Scripture. You know, we're not in Proverbs very often. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to be in a lot of Proverbs today. So if you're not normally a note taker, you might want to be today because... I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to give you a bunch, a bunch of passages of scriptures, and you're going to not probably be able to dwell on them as I talk fast, but uh, hopefully you can write fast. So you want to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 21 will be there as we think about living generously contented. That is a mouthful. It's crazy how the Lord uh, provides things. I, I just want to start this way. Just this week, early in the week, I, I read that young adults are more likely to admit they are obsessed with chasing after the high life, according to a new survey. New survey just came out by, of all groups, Credit Karma, you've heard of them, and Intuit, all right? And this is December 2023, very fresh, and I'm like, wow, why am I reading? This is exactly kind of what we're going to be talking about. Let me tell you about the survey real quick. You can go look it up, but I just read it, I think, on Monday. Uh, the survey found that 44% of Generation Z, have you ever heard of them? And 46% of millennials say they are obsessed with the idea of being rich compared to 27% of all Americans. Now, you may wonder, well, who's Gen Z and who's millennials? All right. That's about age 12, so kids, students, listen up. That's about age 12 all the way up to about 43. So I'm not one of them, did you know? I, just in case you didn't know, I, I'm older than 43. I thought you'd laugh, okay. So those are high percentages, but also all Americans deal with this at some point. A similar number going on of young adults reported experiencing, this was a new term for me, money dysmorphia. Have you heard of money dysmorphia? Some of you have. You're smarter than me. I haven't. Uh, which the survey described as this. Here it is. Having a distorted view of one's finances that could lead them to make poor decisions. Okay, I know what that is. All right, now I know that there's a term for it. The survey goes on and found that 59% of millennials and 48% of Gen Zers feel behind in their financial goals. Experts agree that social media, among other factors, has contributed to feelings of discontent among some young adults. Now, let me just stop you there. That's not just young adults, but it's any, any adults. The more time you spend with social media, the more you have to have reality in your brain and understand what's going on, or the, it can lead to a lot of different feelings, including discontent. Now, these social media outlets, there's a number of them, including YouTube, unconsciously sell to people 24 hours a day. You may not even know it, but it is going on like that. One more item that is mentioned is one of my pet peeves, all right? I don't share that too often. I have a pet peeve about influencers. <laughs> when I was growing up, there was no such thing as influencers. But now we have these influencers. And these social media stars, according to this uh, article, 
show value systems aligned with less work and more free time. Maybe you've seen the girl that got the nine to five job and it went viral because she was like, what, I have to stay till five and work and all this kind of, it was cra it's crazy, look it up, I can't remember the name. But anyway, uh, uh, one expert said this, most young people don't post up their net worth on Instagram and TikTok and you can't tell if any of the luxury items they claim to have are actually real. I could go on and on. There's a lot more, but that's all the time we have for. But let me just say this before we go any further. I am not picking on young adults or students. I want you to hear me. That's just what the survey said. Don't forget that 27% of all adults had this issue, just not to the extent that these two generations have it, okay? So I want you to know this speaks to all of us. And what's interesting as I read that, you know, the secular article, secular uh, news feed, uh, credit karma into it, current, when I read all that, you know what? I went bingo. The Bible speaks to all of this very clearly. The Bible speaks about work. The Bible speaks about the love or pursuit of money. The Bible speaks about reality. Bottom line, the Bible speaks about contentment. And so I thought, all right, Lord, thank you for the confirmation. Here we go. Remember last week, we, our thought was with God, it is possible to live with single-minded surrender. Do you remember that? This week, here's the big idea I want you to think about. Choose, it's a choice, choose the generous, righteous way over the lazy way. We might say it this way, be content. So if you're retired, a number of you are, I want you to still listen, okay? I think it still applies to you even though you're not punching the time clock or going to the office or whatever it is. Listen closely. Here it is, Proverbs 21, verse 25 and 26. Now let me just say, I didn't write this. God did, okay? Look at it. A slacker's craving will kill him, ouch, because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all day long. But, I'm glad the but is there, aren't you? These Proverbs, they give the good, and the, uh, the bad and the good, the bad and the good and all that. They, they do these little couplets. So here it is. But the righteous give and don't hold back. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts today. Speak to us. We realize we're not a percentage but we might be a person that you want to speak into our hearts about this subject. So thank you for your instruction. And thank you for the opportunity to proclaim the word together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, we'll begin with the, the first point is simply this. Okay, it said, maybe yours says sluggard, all right, but mine says slacker. And so the first question to ask is, what is a slacker? I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to give you a lot of Proverbs, all right? We just have two verses here. So we're going to go through these. It's amazing. And these aren't even all of them. It's amazing how, how many times you'll find that just in the book of Proverbs. Now, to, to be clear, when the Bible mentions this, it's not talking about the poor, okay? Please hear me. Some people have riches, some people are middle class, some people are poor. It's not speaking about that, it's speaking more about the idea of laziness. Are you good with me? 
Someone who's rich can be lazy. Someone who's poor can be lazy. Someone who's poor can be very industrious. Okay, so I want to get that cleared out, all right? In our focal passage, though, we see that there's craving and the refusal to work. More about those two concerns in a moment. But let's take a look. What does Proverbs say about a slacker? So I'm going to give these to you from Proverbs and some other places. They're not in uh, order, so for those of you that would rather have chapter 3 and then chapter 5 and chapter 7, it's not that way, but hang with me there. I'm just going to read the scripture. First of all, what does Proverbs say about a slacker? Is the first one is this. The slacker lacks sense, and his possessions are unkept, which leads to poverty. Did you get that? Let's look at the scripture. It's Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. I went by the field of a slacker and by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. Thistles had come up everywhere. Weeds covered the ground and the stone wall was ruined. I saw and took it to heart. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. So we see right off the bat that the slacker lacks sense and doesn't do well with possessions and it leads to poverty. Here's another one. The slacker stays in bed and is too drowsy. I always want to apologize right now. I know some of you like to sleep. You're not. A, how many of you are morning people? Come on. All right. There's a few of us out there. How many of you are not morning people? Okay. Don't fold your arms and look at me weird, okay? Because, and get upset. I'm, I'm just telling you. So I don't know that it's when we get up when we go to bed. It's the idea, though, of just staying in bed and being too drowsy. You know, living in mom and dad's basement, right? You've heard that. Okay. All right. Here we go. Proverbs 26, verses 14 and 15. I love this poetry here. A door turns on its hinges, and a slacker turns on his, what, bed. The sl- I'm, not, I'm not making it up. The slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He is too weary to bring it to his mouth. So what is a slacker? Someone who just got to stay in bed and just too drowsy to do anything. Let's move on. It gets worse. The slacker is not to be trusted. The slacker is not to be trusted. Proverbs 10, 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the slacker is the one who sends him on an errand. Well, wait a minute. What do you, how does that mean? Well, let's, they knew exactly what that meant. Vinegar, think about it. Vinegar was an acid, still is, but was an acid, and it was painful to poorly cared for teeth. teeth. And smoke, of course, stung the eyes, but also blinded the eyes. What we could say here is both of them were bad irritants, okay? And that's applied to the slacker. Let's move on. The slacker uses totally absurd excuses to avoid work. Wow, we're getting personal now, aren't we? The slacker uses this absurd excuse not to work. We're going to find it in Proverbs 22.13. Also, you'll find almost an exact variation of it in 26.13. Let me read 22.13. The slacker says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. Well, we know there's not in an in, in, in Israeli village or whatever. There's not lions running around. It was an excuse, an absurd excuse, to not go and do work. Now, let me just stop for a minute and say something about 
excuses. The Bible makes it clear. Maybe you'll do a study on this. I'm going to give you some verses and some people to think about. But the Bible makes it clear that we should be very careful about using or making excuses. Are you with me on that? We really need to be careful about that. And we find Moses in Exodus 3.11 and Exodus 4.10. Do you remember his excuses? God called him to do something. And he's making excuses that he stutters or, or, or he says, I'm not eloquent. Okay? Got to be careful with that. Judges 6.15. Remember Gideon? Not the stuff that happened later on, but how it started. Making excuses. I can't do that. Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1, 6 and 7, in 1, we read about the amazing thing, how God, you know, God called him out, formed him, all that, right? God's got his hand on him, and his immediate response is, I can't do that, in Jeremiah 1, 6 and 7. And then we get to the New Testament. In Matthew 25, verses 24 and 25, we see the guys that got the talents, and the man made a great excuse that had the one talent. Luke 14, 18 through 20, it's the parable of the great banquet. Do you remember that? And these people were invited, and they were making excuses. And so they say, okay, we'll go get other people for that. So all these excuses kept people from God's will. So we've got to be careful with excuses. In fact, the slacker would make an absurd one. Like, there's a lion out there. I can't go to the square and work. Let's go on. I'm almost done. Here's another one. The slacker avoids challenging work. Anybody ever had to do some challenging work? I'll never forget. Um, our boys, their first jobs were challenging work. Uh, they worked for church members, and w one was interesting. A couple of them did that, but worked in a, he was a fencing contractor. Oh, that'll be cool, right? No, guess what you get to do when you have no seniority? You get to dig the hole. You get to lay down in the mud and hold on and do all that. You don't get to put up the nice stuff. So they learned in a hurry, I'm going to find a different profession. I'm going to get some education because I want to do that. But let's think about challenging work for a minute. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 4. The slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time, he looks and there is nothing. Well, I would say, so what? Well, here's what we need to remember. In that time and in that region, the winter is the rainy season. Thus, guess when plowing had to be done? Plowing would be done in the cold and in the mud and in the muck. And that's when it had to be done in order to have the harvest. So a slacker does not... Uh, want challenging or difficult work here's another one the slacker ends up with a poor quality of life proverbs 15 19 a slacker's way is like a thorny hedge but the path of the upright is a highway no commentary needed there and here's another one the slacker will chase easy money and get rich schemes now here it doesn't say slacker but it says the one who works his land will have plenty of food but the foolish person what he but whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Man, that verse fits right back with that survey that these people just did that I read to you earlier. So we have to be careful with that as well. And there's more. You can, if you, I use the word slacker. You could use the word lazy. You could find a lot more Proverbs. But um, I'll stop with this one because we're out of time to do that. But the last one I want to share with you is Proverbs 26, 16. And here's the problem. So 
Maybe you don't think you're a slacker. Maybe you've tuned me out already. Let me drop this verse on you. Are you ready? 26.16. In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven men who can answer sensibly. I know some of you have talked with friends or family members, maybe even kids or grandkids, and you're trying to give advice and encourage, and what, they're, they're like, I got this. And you're like, you do not got this. You do not got you, You're making mistakes. I'm trying to help you not make these mistakes. So that verse really speaks to this. Why, why do I share all that? Because that word just jumps out at us in our focal passage. And what I want you to see, all these, and there's more, is this. All of these things affect contentment, and generosity. Well, let's move on. Let's look at our passage of Scripture here, and there's two things we're going to look at. First of all, craving. It talks about it twice there. So I asked the question, what about craving? So let's look at craving. The biblical word means this. Here's what that word means. It means yearning, sighing, greed, wish. Now, maybe that's not good English, but that's what it means. Do you, can you see what you're getting here, we get a picture uh, when we see the word, uh, biblical word in cra craving, we see a, a picture of intense greed that causes ones to shudder or to sigh. Oh, that kind of greed. Here's the problem. This craving or this greed is the opposite of contentment. And maybe some of you won't get anything today, but you'll get that. Be contented. But the opposite of it, the enemy of it, is greed or craving. Okay? In verses 25 and 26, we see that craving is a poison pill. It's going to kill him. It says it right there. We see also that craving or greed is pervasive. It says what? All day long it's consuming. Proverbs 13, 4 the slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. We also get a picture of selfishness, which is also a great threat to generosity. So I believe we can see something here. Craving or greed, we might use a different biblical word. It comes from the Ten Commandments. Can you think of what it is? What is the word? Coveting. Coveting. Look at you. Well, next week we're starting a series on Ten Commandments, so... We'll deal with that more fully when we get to that commandment. But it does give us a picture of coveting. Please know, though, this. Coveting is a grave issue today. And I can't, well, I wish we, that was the first one in the ten, but it's not. So we'll have to wait till we get to it. But it is very significant. So in Proverbs 10, 3 and 4, it says this. The Lord will not let the righteous go hungry, but denies the wicked what they crave. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. So let's be content. I heard it this way. I love it. We can have one of two postures. Are you ready? Here's, here's the postures. Both hands are out. Well, wait a minute, Omar. That's one posture. No, this is two postures. Why? Because one can be gimme, 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 gimme. You good with that? But the other can be what? I give. Two postures. And the question is, which one are we? 
So there's a little bit about craving. But what about work? Because it talks about work, the refusal of work. So let's go back to work. It's the point number three, what about work? It's the second issue we find in our passage. And I'm going to give you an overarching passage, and you know it, but let's just be reminded of it. It's Colossians 3, 22 through 24. And we know it, and hopefully we practice it, especially those of us who are still in the workforce or just starting in it. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched. Well, that's different, isn't it? Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So that's our overarching passage that we see whenever we're going to talk about work. We've got to go right there. And I've heard people say it. We've said it in our home, right? We're working as what? As unto the Lord. And, and you've heard it said, the Christian ought to be the best worker in the marketplace, whatever it is, whether you're driving a truck, whether you're a clerical worker, whether you're at Sandia Labs, whether you're in the military, whether you're a teacher, I could go on and on, whether you uh, are, are tradesmen, have a craft, we should be the very best. Maybe we're not the best skilled-wise, but in our, in our work ethic. So enough about that. What's interesting, there are at minimum 11 Proverbs relating to the person who is diligent. That's the word that Proverbs use for this type of worker. It's a diligent worker. It doesn't say workaholic, okay? So let me just go there as well. There's another disclaimer. If you're a workaholic, you've got an issue you need to deal with. But you can be diligent. There's, there's uh, no time right now to do a word study, but you can pop it up on, any, on, on the computer or whatever you have and just look up Proverbs and diligent and look how many verses you'll find. But I'm going to share one today, and it's one of my favorite. It's a bug's life. No, it's not a bug's life. But it's about the ant. Do you remember it? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Let me just read it. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. So there we have it. We get a good answer about what work should be. Let me give you one Old Testament reference and one New Testament reference. I did a study, it's been a long time, in a different sermon. I'm not going to preach two sermons today, thank goodness. We'll be here all day. But uh, the, the Bible gives us what's called a theology of work. Have you ever heard of that? It does. But today I just want to share uh, another, separate from Proverbs, one Old Testament passage for you to consider this week and one New Testament. The Old Testament passage comes from another great teaching book, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. Let me just read it for you. Here is what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during a, the few days of his life. God has given him. Because that is his reward. God has also given riches and wealth to every man, and he has allowed him to enjoy them, to take his reward, and to rejoice in his labor. 
This is a gift of God. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. And from the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Seek to live a quiet life, to mind your own business. Okay, I'm not reading that one. I am not going to read. No. <laughs> Seek to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So that you may, why do this? So that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So it speaks of dependency, but it also speaks of people are watching. So this leads us to our conclusion. And here's the question I want to ask. We've looked at the slacker. We've looked at the two issues in this focal passage, craving or greed. And the second one, refusal to work. So let me ask you, who is your boss? Now, you may have a, a man or a woman there at the office or wherever you're thinking about that. No, I think the question should be, who is your boss, capital B? You know where we're going with this? But who is your boss? Is it sleep? Is it being lazy? Is it craving or coveting? Is it making excuses? Or be encouraged. Is it contentment? Is it generosity? Because it can be. It can be with the Lord's help. So let's consider the idea for today. The final point is this. Be contented and give generously. Be contented and give generously. Now let me just again stop for a minute because I may get accosted after the service. I may get an email this week. But as, as being a preacher for many years, guess what I have been accused of from time to time? Preaching about money too much. Now, no, none of you have ever felt that. None of you have never put me up against the wall after the service and say anything about that. I have had people say, oh, you preachers just want my what? Money. Hmm. So I'll throw that out there, okay? I... Please don't put me up against a wall. Okay, I wouldn't like that. But I got thick skin, okay? But let me tell you, I, I've been a preacher for many years, but also been a pastor for many years. And here's what the pastoral part has to do. It is my responsibility, and I will answer before God, that I am to shepherd the congregation to consider stewardship, generosity, contentment. Therefore, this year it's two weeks, sometimes it's more, but therefore I have a conviction every year to, to speak into this delicate subject. God has called me to do that. So just, just know that, yes, the preacher is preaching, but the pastor is responsible for the whole counsel of God, and that includes stewardship, generosity. What are we doing with stuff? And what's interesting is... When people get saved, sometimes there's radical changes in their life. Are you aware of that? And lots of things are transformed. You know one thing that sometimes is not transformed in the believer's life? Giving and generosity. They may serve, they may pray, they may study their Bible, but all of a sudden when someone opens their mouth about tithes and offerings or generosity, whoop, don't go there. I got baptized, but guess what? My pocketbook wasn't in 
the robe or whatever when I got baptized. So it's it's sensitive subject when I think about it, okay? So I've heard that. You just want my money. But you know what the funny thing is? God wants our money, not me. God wants our money, not me. So we're going to do something a little different right now. It's quiet. Jana's not coming up right now. We're not done with the service, but we're going to have a little prayer time. And I'm going to ask those questions again. And would you just pray for a moment? We're not going to gather together and pray with others, but we're just going to be open to the Lord this morning. And so I want you to pray, and let me ask the questions again. Who's your boss? Is it those negative things like sleep, craving, laziness, coveting, excuses? If you just knew my situation. Or is, is our boss contentment in the Lord? Faithfully being generous how he commands us to be, not how some guy does. Okay? So let's spend a few moments in prayer, just real quiet. Would you just bow your heads right where you are? Just get still. And uh, if you don't want to pray about this, just fake it. Okay? Just uh, pretend. But let's take a moment and just ask that question and let the Lord reveal that. Who's our boss? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would reveal to us areas of contentment, areas of generosity, that you would show us where we're being conformed to be more and more like you. God, I also pray that you would reveal maybe some blind spots in our life, some areas that we haven't fully surrendered to you. Maybe Today you've revealed to us an area in our life that may not even have anything to do with money, but has to do with not being content. God, I ask that you would begin a work in our lives, even this morning, on whatever that is. I'm reminded that Scripture tells us that He, that's you, God, who began a good work in us, We'll complete it. We'll finish it. We'll bring it to maturity. But it's a process, and it won't happen until you come back. So, God, God, I would ask right now that you would continue to bring us closer to spiritual maturity, that you would bring us closer to completing the good work that you have begun in us at the moment of our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Perhaps you'll jot, jot down a word or two or a phrase on your sermon notes of what God is asking you to do or speaking you, to you about. But let me uh, share some commands or declarations I hope that Hoppentown Church will be known for. Let us be productive, working, and serving wholeheartedly and with enthusiasm. 
and doing it as unto the Lord. That's the first one. Let us be those kind of people. Secondly, let us allow God to work in our lives to curb our cravings and our greed. Third, let us be the people of Proverbs 21, 26b. Let me read it again. The righteous give and don't hold back. So in closing, my prayer is that we would have an open hands posture that we just talked about a minute ago. But it would not be one of getting, but it would be one of giving. giving. And obviously that's on a different level based on what God has blessed us with. But we remember the story of what? The widow's might. Now that's a weird word, isn't it? But what does it mean? All she had was the least common denominator of riches. And she gave it. And others maybe could give tons and tons and tons. So the idea is not the amount. It's the idea of open hands and being willing to give. So I pray that we would do that. But before we're done today, I want to remind you that God is a giving God. God is a generous God. Do you believe it? I think we sang about that a little bit today, did we not? But I want you to think about that for a minute. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Okay, that's pretty good. Is that, it's English. Do you, you understand? What, you don't have to do a word study. Do you know what that word means? God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Jesus that whoever believes would not perish, but have the promise of what? Eternal life. And then we get to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and it says, For by grace are you saved. It is a what? Gift. It's not anything we've done. It's what God's done. So we can't boast about it. Do you see? Just a couple verses there, we get to it. So I want you to think about the greatest gift ever. The greatest gift ever is our Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about John 3.16, but there's some of you that need to hear John 3.17 through 19. Let me read it this morning as we're closing. For God did not send his son, that's Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And let me just tell you right now, if you're searching, if you're wondering about what this is like, to follow God and everything, you must realize that the only way the world can be saved, which means you and me, is through him, through Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. But let me go on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, yea. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. So see, you can't, I, man, I've heard it, and I've talked to people right here in Albuquerque. I'll get around to it. You can't wait to get around to it. Why would you not be saved today? Because Scripture says you're condemned already, just like the rest of us. Those of you who are saved, would you not agree that you were condemned already, that sin nature came into your life the moment you were born? No one had to teach you how to sin. You got it from Granddaddy Adam, and just like the rest of us. Why? Smart people out there, why would you put it off? You're condemned already why would God save a little boy in a messed up family a boy that had all kinds of issues I don't know why but he did and even as a boy I understood I was condemned already 
Listen, don't rely on your finances. Don't rely on your family. Don't rely on your education. Don't rely on culture, please. But realize, Scripture says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. We ought to have life change today. If you're watching online, you can do that right in your home. Why are you condemned already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light, that's Jesus, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Let's be real. If you have been saved, be real about it. Be transparent. Share it. Act like we're saved. But if you haven't, realize you're condemned already and you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Why not? I'm not talking about joining this church. I'm talking about being gloriously saved by the one who can save, the one who forgives. Are you hearing me? Stay with me just a minute longer. Just a minute longer. The Bible says... We're all sinners. We got it. It says we're condemned already. But the Bible says that God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were still sinners. What? Christ died for us. So you see, Jesus died for you and for me, people who were condemned by our sin. And we can turn and run to him. It's called repentance. We can turn from our sin. We can turn from our way of thinking. We can even turn from, I'll put it off today, and run to him and confess that sin. And simply, we don't do anything but say, God, save me. And he does all the work. Do you remember that day when it was for you, Christian? Do you remember? Does that put a smile on your face? Sure, there have been tough times. Sure, there have been good times. But nevertheless, God has saved you. And you can claim that promise that John 3.16 says, everlasting life. Why not today? You see, generosity doesn't matter. Contentment doesn't really matter. If you've not been saved, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would move among people. I know there's a number of people that put you off. God, and maybe they don't intend to do it, but it's just not today. And my, my prayer is why not today? Why not, to, why not get with someone today and pray together and become a Christian? God, you're in the saving business. You're saving people all over the planet today in every time zone. Why not here in Albuquerque? And God, I pray that those of us who claim and call ourselves Christians would be the righteous ones who give and don't hold back. God, help us not to do that today, even this week, even this year as you give us opportunities. So speak to us this morning during this time of response. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.